Welcome back to the Scarlet Fever, the Daily Nebraskans' own sports podcast. I'm your host, Joseph Meyer. Alongside me is my co-host, Gavin Struve. It is Indiana week here in Lincoln. Um, the Hoosiers are set to play the Huskers on Saturday night. Homecoming game, prime time, under the lights, light show, everything all going on. Obviously, not the season that Nebraska had hoped for so far. But Gavin, you did a preview of the Indiana game. What is your main takeaway on how the Huskers can win this game? Um, I would say my main takeaway is just not beating themselves. Um, I think my main takeaway from reading the preview was how similar these two teams are in terms of um, Indiana is pretty much built through the portal as well as mm-hmm. skill positions. And uh, pretty, pretty similar um, built team. Um, in terms of construction, uh, also poor defense, kind of, and definitely diverge in where they, um, how they operate on offense. Um, I don't know if you got a chance to look at how disparate their mm-hmm. run-pass ratio is. Yeah. What did What did you think of that? I, it's interesting. I think, I mean, looking at the team as you know, coming off that Cincinnati game, I think if, if you're Nebraska. You have to feel you have to feel strong about how this defense, even though how bad Nebraska's defense has played so far this year, you still have to feel confident about being able to game plan a you know a way that you can win this game. Um, I really liked when I you know if you don't check out Gavin's previews every week, he does them for every um, Nebraska opponent um, and interviews a student reporter as well during it. We'll get into that a little bit later. I have some questions for you there. Um, but I, I wanted to know, like, when you're looking at this team, how are they 3-0? and Can you give an answer of how they won those first three games? Obviously, the Illinois game we thought would be an Illinois win. Yeah. Why is Indiana 3-0, and or was 3-0, and and why are they, you know, a, a significantly better record than Nebraska, despite looking like not an incredible team? Yeah, they have the inverse record in Nebraska. Um, I wish it were as simple as saying they're the better team, um, but mm-hmm. I think – both of our sentiments about Illinois would dispute that. Um, yeah, I mean, they, they won that opener against Illinois. Um, probably not a massive difference between those two teams. We both, I think, think Illinois is a little better. Um, but it was in Bloomington. Illinois was coming off playing in week zero, whereas right. Indiana wasn't. And they won by three points. So um, next, they beat Idaho, beat them by 13, trailed 10 nothing at halftime. Certainly not a confidence-inspiring performance. And then they beat Western Kentucky. Um, not a horrible team. Uh, usually have a pretty, pretty solid offense, but beat them by three in overtime. Um, so none of those results look great, but suddenly you find yourself at 3-0, which um, I think Nebraska would A lot of Nebraska fans would definitely be happy with 3-0, regardless of how good the team was. You know, the wins are the wins. Um, and Indiana's been able to do that. What What is your... Um, you know, you talk to the uh, Bloomington, I forget what it's called, but the the Indiana student newspaper. Did you get a sense of how Indiana uh, fans or your reporters feel about this team? Are they confident in the three and one record or they feel like, yeah, we've overperformed to a level? Yeah. So um, going off what Joseph said, in my scouting reports I do weekly on each team, I interview a student journalist from the opposing school. So I interviewed Patrick Feltz, who um, 
He writes for the Daily Hoosier, which I is actually not university affiliated. Okay, um, I think he ran there the Indiana Daily last year. Um, but he's I knew him through he founded the student media poll. Um, so yeah, um, impressive guy. Thanks for to him for mm-hmm. talking with me. But to answer your question, um, he. At one point, I think flat out said, um, which I agree with, <laughs> that neither of these teams, like, these are not very good teams, right. but should be a good game. Yeah, I, I, Close I think, game. I think that's ultimately what Nebraska fans are hoping for, you know, under the lights, homecoming. At this point, the season, the, the prospects of a successful season are not too high, but a nice win in a good game would be, you know. Close game, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Nebraska fans would certainly be okay with that regardless of the record on Saturday. But for Indiana, like, they've been able to win three games so far. And this game would kind of cement them as a, I, I hate to say it, but 2-0 and in the in the Big Ten um, West. Obviously not a contender in the Big Ten, but 2-0 and is 2-0, and and that's something that not a lot of teams are able to do so far this season. So for them to get to 4-1, and 2-0 and in the Big Ten – that's going to put them at the top of the Big Ten West standings. They, that would make them feel good, no? Definitely, yeah. I mean, we're not going to kid ourselves that they have any chance of winning the um, Big Ten East, but sorry, uh, your or fans. Big Ten, uh, Big Ten West, yeah, yeah. But uh, I'm sure there's some Big Ten East actually. Dilu- sorry, they get, oh right, right, they, right, they feel like they should be a West team, but I, I well, yeah, I was thinking uh, Illinois. I, I don't even think they'd have a chance to win the Big Ten West, really, even if they jumped to two and zero, but. It is interesting how this sets up. Um, it's kind of kind of diminishes the game. And I don't mm-hmm. intend for it to, but this is the most winnable game on both of these teams' schedules. Remaining. I think yeah, that's that's the conclusion you came to because Northwestern's already out the book for Nebraska, and um, Indiana doesn't have them. They don't have it, Northwestern. So it's kind of a, a must win if you want to win in, in some cases there. Um, yeah, because for each team, losing this game could mean an 0-7 record the rest of the way out, which would not be ideal. I'm sure there's some Hoosier fans who would it would love to assume that getting to 4-1 and 2-0 and in the concerts means they can go beat Ohio State, but uh, more level-headed fans may uh, disagree with that. Um, you talked about, um, let's see here. What, what do you like out of, I'm, not, I'm actually not sure how to how you pronounce that. Um, Connor Basilak. To Basilak. Yeah. Um, yeah, kind of a weird last name, but uh, no offense. Kind of, kind of oh. hard to pronounce with the oh, Z I, is what I meant. Um, yeah, so he was Missouri's starting quarterback the last two years. Um, I think a lot um, kind of a byproduct of that 2020 season, as Indiana fans are well aware of with them being great that mm-hmm. year. But he was at his best in 2020 with Missouri in that weird abbreviated season. Still pretty solid last year, below average SEC quarterback, I'd say, but um, – yeah, he picked Indiana. Curious move, given how that bad they were. But they must have given him the pitch of "you are our offense," which has very much been the case with him leading yeah. the NCAA relatively comfortably in pass attempts. Um, I Just mean, kind of give the ball to him and let him throw it around. Yeah, did you expect that from an Indiana quarterback? No, I did not. Uh, usually, you don't think of Indiana leading the country in anything, but I guess yeah. pass attempts might be the one way they can do that. Um, I'm, I'm, how do you think that that's going to fare against these Nebraska cornerbacks and, and, and safeties that so far we obviously have seen have been exposed time and time again, but that's just not to say the entire Nebraska defense hasn't been exposed. Um, 
do you think he's going to be able to take advantage of that, or is he just not that high skill of a lover or player, just kind of someone that likes to throw the ball wherever it goes? Yeah. So to preface this, I don't um, – I think we'll get into this in a few minutes, but I don't know what I'm going to predict this game at. I mm-hmm. think it's going to be super close. I'm not super confident about Nebraska's abilities. But hear me out on this. I think this is exactly the matchup Nebraska wants in terms – in terms of how Indiana's offense is structured. Um, Nebraska hasn't been great against um, either facet of offense um, on the other side of the ball. Pretty clearly, uh, they're bad against the pass and even worse to borderline terrible against the run. But I think upon some further introspection and kind of looking at the results and looking at opponents' results, I think maybe we as... I don't want to speak for all of the collective Nebraska media, but I think we've kind of been too harsh on Nebraska's pass defense. Okay. Um, Looking at, I found a pretty crazy stat today that, so two of the four quarterbacks Nebraska's played this far, and if you include Bazelak in there also, sorry, this is a confusing way of wording it, but Nebraska's played two of the four quarterbacks with the most pass attempts in the nation thus far which would naturally lead to them racking up passing yards. Yeah. And Basilak will be the third in their first five games that sit in that top four. It's pretty wild. Wow. Um, so Basilak's actually first, as we said, in pass attempts. But the others were Kyle Vantrese of Georgia Southern and Ryan Hillensky of Northwestern. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I mean, going into the season, um, I think, I don't know, I think, I think maybe we felt a little more comfortable in Nebraska's run defense. Yeah. But thought Nebraska's past defense would be a little better than it is now. Um, well, because you lost so many of the secondary pieces that, you know, obviously weren't great last year, but you still have to bring in a whole new set of guys. And yeah. there was a little bit less turnover in the in the linebacking core and up front, but obviously that's not been the case. Um, and, and you bring up a good point there because when we talked about Georgia Southern, we were very high on, oh, this you know, this is a, you know, Nebraska, you can do better against the pass. They're going to be a very pass-heavy team with Clay Helton there. Didn't really work out. Now, is Georgia Southern's offense better than Indiana's? I don't think it matters because the coaching staffs are completely different. I think different yes. Um, I, say, I think you yes, do think yes. It doesn't really matter. Yeah. Um, but obviously now with Shenander and Frost gone, I don't think there's going to be much comparison there on the defensive side of the ball. So yeah. it's kind of a blank slate. I think Oklahoma, we've talked about this, kind of just throw that out the window. Just a weird game for an interim coach to come into. Um, and so this is kind of the prove-it game for this defense. Has anything changed? If not, then there's a deeper problem here, and, and it might just be the talent level is just not there. Yeah. Um, to kind of go off that Georgia Southern game, um, they they gashed Nebraska on the ground a lot more than expected. Mm-hmm. Um, also had quite a bit of success for the year. I think the quarterback had 300-plus yards. I mean, they had success everywhere, to say yeah. the least. Yeah, um, but he did throw two picks. Uh, credit both those True. to Marquise Buford, who's been, I think, the main positive in the <laughs> yeah. secondary. One of the um, few. But, yeah, I guess my general sentiment that I've developed um, is that Nebraska's pass defense might be might be competent and that they might be set up to um, exploit Indiana's offense more than the other way around. Yeah, I mean, I think when you when you say Nebraska might be good at anything, you have to have a lot of disclaimers because uh, time and time again they have shown that even though they have potential, they're just not going to live up to it. Yeah. Um, but I'm I'm gonna you know I'll spoil it right now. We'll have our predictions coming out um, on 
um, Friday morning uh, for the Daily Nebraskan. I, th- I think Nebraska's going to win this game um, just because of what I've seen out of Indiana. I'm a huge, like I said earlier this week, I'm a huge dominant win um, fan, and Indiana has not had many of those so far, um, barely squeaking by in their three wins. And then getting handled by Cincinnati, I know the score wasn't as – bad as the game actually was but those who watched the game I mean Cincinnati was dominant throughout most of the first half um, and it was 38 to 10 at halftime I believe so not super high on Indiana's defense Um, but you uh, feel that they're the more formidable side of the ball you said in your article Um, why do you think that yeah not not super impressed with Indiana's offense Um, I think there is always a little bit of variance with that pass heavy of an offense that they could do something but Definitely think the defense is the better side. Um, they've just got some dudes, simple mm-hmm. as that. Um, and these are pretty inconsistent guys, um, which is interesting because they're veteran guys. Uh, the secondary had Taiwan Mullen, who um, kind of expected already to be in the NFL by now, given that 2020 season he had first-team All-American as a – I think he was a freshman that season or a sophomore – a um, couple other guys in that secondary who are still there were on the – all Big Ten, second or third team that year. Um, still decent dudes. They're And curiously, they're actually better against the run, mm. um, despite the experience and, I'd say, talent in their secondary. Um, but, yeah, the secondary the secondary linebackers have some dudes. Um, definitely have the pieces. Uh, definitely a term Nebraska fans have heard over and over. <laughs> um, definitely have the pieces to be a good defense. I don't think they will be. Um, but yeah, the, the, the trenches is where Indiana is lacking the most. Um, and I would argue Nebraska is in a similar situation, Yeah. but, um, yeah, they, they got the guys that can turn this game for, for Indiana on defense. Whereas I kind of don't feel that way about Indiana's offense. Okay. Interesting. I'm excited to see how this Nebraska team, this Nebraska offense specifically will rebound after obviously their worst performance of the season against you I mean I would say not arguably close to Oklahoma's defense but we don't know because Oklahoma got exposed this week and I'm going to touch on that Adrian Um, and actually I'll go into that right now an interesting um, parallel here we've got uh, Indiana whose quarterback Michael Penix uh, left them and is now a transfer quarterback playing well and obviously Nebraska's quarterback Adrian Martinez of the past four years now defeating Big Ten foe Oklahoma with what five touchdowns? Yeah, five total touchdowns. What three hundred and I don't know seventy yeah. or eighty total yards. I, I, it was it was a cruel spin of fate for Nebraska, who finally got you know some rest in the in the in the bye week, and I'm sure the noise around Adrian Martinez really didn't help the locker room because nobody wants to hear that their former leader, who kind of I mean he 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 left on his own, but I, I'd say he pretty much was done here to go off and ball and beat the team that just pretty much embarrassed them on on the biggest stage last week on, on yeah. national television. Probably not good for the locker room, but I'm sure Joseph has uh, – Mickey Joseph's got them corralled there. Um, do you think Casey Thompson and company is going to be able to expose this defense, or do you, or do you expect more of a more of a low-scoring game here? I think I expect something in between. Okay. Um, go, yeah, going into last game, I think we expected – I mean, we kind of expected the same defensive output that yeah. we got. Um from Nebraska, but I think we expect the offense to at least hang with Oklahoma for yeah. a few quarters. More than just one drive. I'd make say. it 
I don't know. I think we both predicted the final score to be roughly 40 to 30 or mm-hmm. something like that. Um, 49-14. So, yeah, the, the offense did well, as it always does, on the scripted opening drive. Struggled after. So, yeah, this will be a really good test of resiliency, as it is for the team in general, but specifically for this offense um, and for Casey Thompson, just to see how they rebound against a team that they should have a lot more success against. Mm-hmm. Um who would you say is the biggest X factor for Nebraska offensively going into this game? I, I want to – I still just – I feel like there's still a lot to develop between Thompson and Palmer, and I think Palmer is going to establish himself with two weeks under his his guy, Mickey Joseph, that brought him in. Yep. I think he's going to establish himself this week as a top – You know, we talk about these weapons – Palmer is that guy, um, and so far he's been great, but it hasn't contributed to wins, and hopefully for Nebraska in a Big Ten game against Indiana that they should win at least coming into the season. I mean, this was a, this was a marked-off win uh, for Nebraska, obviously. Some of the other ones weren't. Um, but I'm, I'm excited for that, that duo right there because last week it worked on that opening drive, and then it disappeared, um, and I think that's going to be really important. I, I'm interested to see where they're going with the the running backs group this week too. Yeah. Um, I know you uh, wrote a uh, presser on uh, Joseph's press conference on Tuesday, but I'm interested to get a feel for now that with no AJ Allen, where are we going there um, with the number two? I really want Ramir Johnson to get involved, but I'm we'll have to see if that will ever Real. happen. Yeah. Um, and you know you talked about. You talked about the snaps for Indiana's defense, or the starts for Indiana's defense, how experienced they are. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see that that that. Um, sorry, Indiana's secondary. I'm interested to see how that um, matchup will happen between Nebraska's weapons and Indiana's secondary, because if Nebraska can, you know, expose them, then there's still hope going forward. If you can't can't pass the ball in Indiana, not a lot of hope going forward into the rest of Big Ten. Agreed. Um, yeah, definitely. Nebraska, I don't know how to put this. I think Indiana has the defensive guys to dominate um, or thoroughly outplay Nebraska's offense if Nebraska's offense isn't at its best. But if both teams are at their best or close to it, Nebraska's um, perimeter players specifically should win out. Mm-hmm. Um, they're all, they're all kind of, I mean, Nebraska's receivers are all kind of entrenched, uh, like fourth-year guys. Yeah. Um, even though they're new to the team, uh, maybe not as old as Indiana's secondary. But, I mean, you look at the recruiting rankings, you look at where these guys come from, um, what they did this, even what they've done the first three games for Nebraska, they should be slightly better than the secondary counterparts they're going up against. It'll be interesting to see. It'll also be interesting to see Nebraska's run-pass balance. But It'll be interesting to see if Trey Palmer can step up and win that battle against, I don't know, I assume maybe Taiwan Mullen. If Marcus Washington can continue to um, continue to be a really nice compliment to him, yeah. How do you what do you, what do you think about Indiana's defensive line? Because obviously the offensive line is going to continue to be a concern for Nebraska all year. Um, there are going to be teams that expose that heavily. Uh, do you think Indiana is going to be any semblance of that? I know you talked about how you think their secondary is the is the more strong part of their defense. Yeah, it's it's like a weird balance because. Um, the defensive line has been the better unit for Indiana so far. 
Um, I think they rank relatively favorably um, somewhere in like the top third of NCAA in sacks per game. Um, they've done well, and they've done better stopping the run than the past, like we talked about. It's just Nebraska being the more talented team, which we've seen hasn't always mattered. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to need to be the secondary that steps up for Indiana because they have the higher ceiling. Um, but yeah, the line is solid for Indiana, the defensive line, certainly better than their offensive line. Um, I'd say it's a pretty comparable group to Nebraska's defensive line, um, maybe a little better at, I guess, just stopping the lo- stopping the run, but yeah, it'll be interesting. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm interested to see how that – last week was very uncharacteristic um, for that run game of, you know, we'd seen it kind of pop off in all three first games. Um, and then against Oklahoma, just nothing was there. Um, I'm looking for a big rebound week from that unit. I think you can rely on them a little bit more, even without Allen. Um, but I think if, if Thompson's going down as hard as he did last week, it's going to be tough to win games. And, and that offensive line needs to step up, and I need, it needs to happen fast. Um, you know, Otherwise, we might see another, offensive, uh, another assistant coach fired. Yeah. The purge has begun. Uh, we'll see if we lose another. It lost a coach after every game, after the last two games. We'll see if uh, Nebraska loses another one after this one. Um, you have anything else that you want to dive into specifically about this matchup? Yeah, um, kind of want to touch on. Um, you said Trey Palmer was your X factor for the Nebraska offense. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a good answer. He's. Uh, I saw some graphic on Twitter that he has the most catches through four games of any Nebraska receiver. Do you see mm. that? Oh. It's like 28 catches, pretty solid. Um, but, yeah, he's he's a dude who could get up into the high three digits, potentially hit 1,000 yards. But I think for this game, um, kind of just judging off of I want to see how they bounce back from last game, I think the biggest X factor for Nebraska is um, Anthony Grant, mm-hmm. who is also arguably the best offensive player. Um, we don't know that for sure yet, but I'm really interested to see how he does. He was averaging something like 140 rush yards per game through three games. Um, didn't, wasn't all his fault, but didn't get the opportunity yeah. to do much. Against really Oklahoma. took him off his pace of yeah. hitting a thousand yards. But again, you're down by three, t- four touchdowns by half. You're not running the ball too much in the second half. So yeah. Yeah. Not and, all his fault. Like you said, and he got 12 carries, which is a lot produced, I think 23 yards off them, which is. Not great. Kind of a Gabe Irvin 2021 mm. type stat line. Um, not Gabe Irvin 2022, though. No. Nope. But, yeah, it'll be – it's it's going to be um, interesting to see how he does against um, better defenses. Um, I'm not sure Indiana is a better defense, markedly better than the first three teams Nebraska played. Um, they're probably somewhere in between that and Oklahoma. Um, but – you saw how easily he was able to pl- break runs the outside against those first few opponents who were overmatched and just couldn't do that against Oklahoma. So um, very, very intrigued to see how he lines up against Indiana. I'd say anything – I'd say like if he hits 70 yards or more, it's encouraging, but you almost kind of want him if you're Mickey Joseph to hit hit that 100-yard threshold mm-hmm. to feel good about your chances. Do you think he'll get more of the carry – uh, without Allen, or do you think those carries that Allen had will be filled by Irvin and others, but mostly Irvin, it, it seems like, based on last week's game? Yeah, I would say if I had to answer one or the other, I would say mostly filled. I think he'll probably get like 
two or three more carries than he'd been getting mm-hmm. before. Um, he'll definitely still be the lead back, you would think, based on his production so far. Um, but I think I think uh, he won't have to carry everything. Gabe Irvin's a formidable guy, and as we talked about last podcast, they have a bunch of guys behind him they yep. could go to that, I mean, it was a big injury, but A.J. Allen, um, I mean, may he have a speedy recovery, but that's one of the position groups that Nebraska was set up best depth-wise to right. suffer You didn't feel like you in. needed A.J. Allen to be competitive in the, in yeah. the run game this season. Um, you know, a very unfortunate injury. Um, you hate to see it. But, yeah, I think I'm just really excited to see how, you know, I, I'm intrigued by this kind of reset that they've been talking about, right? It, you know, mm-hmm. last week was going to be a reset, but now, you know, the, this stuff's going on. It was a tough week going into the bye week. This bye week's been a reset they're going to have to show something this week because you can't reset after every week. You can't just say, oh, you know, the list last week was tough. They've had two weeks to get ready for their most winnable game on the schedule. Nebraska needs, in my opinion, they need to win this game if anybody in the program wants to be here next year. Um, Because if they don't win this game or if it's another, you know, Georgia Southern situation where it's like couldn't stop Georgia Southern, kind of got outplayed by a lesser opponent. I, it's it's going to be hard to argue that any of the games coming forward are going to be wins. Obviously, Indiana. I mean, I don't I don't think it's too controversial to say they're the less talented roster, but they've been able to put together the wins so far this season. Um, I it, it's just it'll be interesting to see how Joseph is going to respond to this because I know he wants to be the coach of this football team next year. Maybe Definitely. maybe I don't know after seeing how. You know, the Nebraska media enjoys uh, criticizing his team, but um, he wants to be here next year, and I would assume a lot of the other coaching staff would be, and and some of the players. Um, so they need to win against Indiana if they want to make that happen. Um, any any other like prospects you have going forward? No, I think we've pretty much covered it. Um, yeah, last thing I'd say is it'll it will be uh, something to note for sure is how different this team will look. Um, I think the attack against Oklahoma looked. Less different than we thought it would um, mm-hmm. with Scott Frost gone. But Joseph definitely talked about slowing down the offense more, um, playing, I guess, kind of more fast and free on the defense side. Um, and then also maybe implementing some new guys. We saw the depth chart had a few small changes. Um, that's not always definitely accurate. But, yeah, mm. it'll be, it'll be uh, I'll definitely be keeping a close eye on how this product looks, not just in performance, but in um, – I guess structure from what we last saw from Nebraska. If you if Nebraska's offense goes out there and throws up another poor performance like they did last week, how much of that falls on the current staff and not having Scott Frost? Obviously, he wasn't calling all of the plays. We really don't know how many plays he was calling per game because he would take over with Whipple. Um, but if the offense, you know, that was the that was the highlight of the first three weeks. Offense looks amazing. Um, this is the best offense we've seen in the last couple of years. If that doesn't show up again, how much of that do you think is going to fall on the current coaching staff and Frost sitting at home watching on the couch saying, I told you so? Um, a lot of it should fall on them at this point. Um, you got to cut them some slack with the circumstances. Right. But Mark Whipple's a guy who's um, been entrenched in Division One college football for a while. He was a head coach at UMass, mm-hmm. um, which is a relatively successful and stable FCS school. And, um, I mean – Scott Frost hired him to oversee and direct the offense. And 
Mickey Joseph also having offensive ties. Um, they're implementing a new receivers coach right now, but um, they've had a couple weeks to do yeah. so. And Not too many excuses. Yeah, I mean, you never know what to expect from Nebraska football, but I would expect to bounce back from the offense. And um, I think I think given the positive performances we've seen from the offense so far, um, you expect that again, again against a team like this, and there's not really anyone to blame for how they direct those pieces other than Mark Whipple and um, – Mickey Joseph and Brian Applewhite and mm-hmm. there's not too Don many Rayola. other faces to fire at this point. Like, yeah, I don't think we'll see any. Yeah, I don't know if you do, but I don't. Yeah. I don't know that there's guys to fill those spots in the program. But Agreed. I guess there's Running always out. next man up. Running out um, of analysts to but promote. Yeah, at some point, it's 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 whoever's out there, and you can't blame it on another coach. It's it's who's who's telling the guys what to do. Um, so yeah, uh, that's all I've got. Unless you got anything else, no, that's about it. I think we covered everything. It'll be be yeah. a Fun homecoming week. Oh, absolutely. I, regardless of the outcome, I think it'll be a fun game. Yeah, as we saw, game. Georgia Southern was a great game for a for a for a non biased fan watching that game. It's an incredible game under the lights, um, as I'm sure this one could possibly be as well. But for Nebraska, a uh, win on homecoming night certainly wouldn't be uh, too painful. I would say uh, we saw it last year with the dominating win of no- Northwestern that kind of provided some hope, and then it came crashing down the next week. Um, but yeah, um, so now we're going to move into a volleyball segment. Obviously, Nebraska football has not been too good this year, but Nebraska volleyball has been amazing this year. Um, we're going to talk to Jay Mingo. He just came out with his Big Ten volleyball power rankings. He's got Nebraska at one, like many do. Uh, we'll be back after a quick break to talk with Jay. All right, we are back, and this time we are with Jay Mingo, our Daily Nebraskan volleyball writer. Um, we're going to talk to him a little bit about his Big Ten volleyball power rankings as well as his outside for the rest of Nebraska volleyball season. Uh, Gavin, what do you have first for Jay? Yeah, we kind of got some uh, talking points we'll run through for the power rankings. Um, those come out every Wednesday, um, early Wednesday morning. Jay gets those in. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, it's really interesting. Um, Big Ten's just a dominant volleyball conference right now. Jay do you want to kind of talk us through some of the challenges you, you had in sorting through the hierarchy of the teams? Well, the big thing, especially to start off uh, Big Ten play, was that several of the teams beat each other. Like if you notice, Minnesota swept Wisconsin. You had Michigan unranked coming in and beating Penn State. So really just weirdly kind of a dogfight almost between the teams in the Big Ten. And now looking at their most recent ABCA polls, you have – um, six teams in the top 12, and five, six, seven, and eight are Big Ten teams that have beat each other, played each other. So it's really tough each week when you have such good teams competing and no one can really tie. There's only one person to come out on top. Yeah, sure. Um, I'll kind of run through it real quick without spoiling the article. Um, you can go check that out on dailynebraskan.com. It's titled Week 2 Big Ten Volleyball Power Rankings. But you've got Nebraska 1, Purdue 2, Minnesota 3, Ohio State four, Wisconsin five. Um, who was the toughest team to rank, whether in that top group or um, even outside of that? I'd say it's Purdue. And because Purdue's such a good team, and compared to Minnesota, they're pretty even as far as how they compete and how they play. And so really finding a good place for Purdue, I kind of flip between them and Minnesota for the second up spot. Eventually, Purdue just came. I mean, you have Eva Hudson. She's a freshman outside hitter, and she's just really phenomenal. 
and I believe that her on that team gives him the edge over a team like Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Minnesota's only they're, they're six and four right now um, at the time of your article. How does that? How do the losses compare? Because obviously we got to look at strength of schedule so far, and I would say that Minnesota's strength of schedule has probably been harder than Purdue. Um, but being six and four, that has to come into play at some point. Nebraska and Purdue only have one loss each. How much does each loss uh, play into your rankings? Well, for especially for the first week of doing the power ranks, I looked heavily at um, you know who they played. Mm-hmm. A lot of teams had played unranked opponents, really soft non-conferences. Then you had Penn State that kind of played a lot of soft schedules and came and beat uh, Oregon, and then they beat Stanford. So it's like, okay, well, they played a really kind of weak schedule, but then when it mattered most, they were able to finish. So really checking out who they're playing, and now it's conference, so the teams are going to get better mm-hmm. easily. Now you're playing Wisconsin. Now you're playing Nebraska. Now you're playing Penn State, so you're playing much better teams. So it's going to get harder to see which loss is better, how did they lose um, to the better team by how much and what it looked like in the game. So do you value um, strength of schedule, good wins a lot higher than um, win-loss record? Yeah, definitely. And, I mean, it's even displayed with the ABCA polls. I mean, you've got Ohio State. They're 5-5, five and five, yet they're number 6, while a team like Baylor's 11-2 and two and they're 13. So it's looking at who they've played, how well they've played. Like Ohio State took Nebraska to the fifth set this week. And Ohio State was a few points away, an error away from actually beating Nebraska in four sets and really changing the way of the game or changing how rankings might look. So teams like that, they may have four or five losses, but if lost to really good teams, it's you know they're much better in my opinion than a team that's twelve and zero but hasn't really played anyone of any strength. What's your what's your outlook on Wisconsin this year? Obviously, um, coming off a national championship over Nebraska. Now you've got them five in your rankings. What do, you, what do you like about Wisconsin this year, and why are they not higher? Well, I think the loss of Dan Aretke is a big thing when you have such height in the front row and someone as dominant as she was. Losing her is going to be tough to rebound. They do have Anna Smarek. She's a great volleyball player, and they have a lot of other assets on the team, but they're not as scary, if you want to say it like that, compared to last year when they were a really dominant team. And this year you've seen even with Minnesota, they're, they don't have that same force and vigor that they had. Yeah, um, yeah. So there's definitely an interesting moral quandary there. With um, you mentioned Ohio State being five and five, and you and the ABCA poll both have them um, rated pretty highly, which isn't something you would see in like college football, for instance. Um, I'd say basketball is like kind of somewhere in between of mm-hmm. record and losses, but um, definitely seems like kind of a more noble way of doing it, I guess, um, just based off strength of schedule. Um, results like that um so i guess what i'm trying to say is given the i mean there's those teams up there in that top group a couple of them don't have um stellar records and there's also a couple teams michigan penn state ranked in the national top 15 that have really good records um but you have them sixth and seventh in the big 10 um as does avca how many realistic contenders do you think there are to win the big 10 well, I'd say you know, Nebraska, Purdue, these are givens, but I wouldn't be surprised if Michigan made a case of why they can win the Big Ten. They've proved it against Penn State that they're capable of knocking off a good team. And I feel like any team within that top six or seven, so Nebraska, Purdue, Minnesota, Ohio State, Wisconsin, Michigan, and Penn State, these are teams that have a case. You have your favorites. You have Nebraska. You have Minnesota. You have Purdue. But these middle-of-the-road teams that – 
are able to stage an upset every now and then and kind of slowly creep up as these top teams like Purdue and Minnesota might have to beat each other. And will one team lose us? Now you get to move up. So that kind of thing of these, yeah, so really any team, it's up for grabs. And it's so early in the season with so many games left to be played to say who can win. And so it's, yeah, it's just up to anyone. You talked about Wisconsin, uh, sorry, you talked about Ohio State. Um, that was a big win for Nebraska uh, coming off in a five-set um, victory. But that, that means that Ohio State is a, is a formidable opponent. Um, how tough is that for Ohio State to lose like that to the number three ranked team? Um, and what do you think going forward they're going to do to put themselves in that position? Because like you said, they were very close to beating Nebraska, and Nebraska wins that game. Um, Nebraska feels good about that win. They feel like that's a, that's a really strong win as opposed to some of the ones they've had so far. What do you like about Ohio State um, going forward? Well, I think Ohio State really started off with a tough schedule in non-conference. They played Texas back-to-back throughout the season. Texas was number two at the time. Now they're number one. They've been there for the past few weeks. So it's, they're playing a lot of tough teams, and it's a lot of stuff to – a lot of positive stuff to take from it. They beat Louisville. They beat um, BYU. They beat Georgia Tech. And this was after coming off of some really tough ranked losses, but they were able to respond with wins of their own. And so with a team like Ohio State, I think they prove that – they belong towards top of the Big Ten. They prove that they can hang with Nebraska. I mean, there were times where Nebraska just looked out of system. They were just out of sorts, something you wouldn't usually see from a John Cook-led team. And Ohio State was just dominating that game. There were times being there where Ohio State fans, there were like 15 of them, but they might have been louder than the 8,000 <laughs> Nebraska fans. So it's just insane to think that a team like that, that you'd say, well, they're 5-5 five and five, or they're their records, you know, same wins and losses, same totals, but they're a really good team that the record doesn't account for how well they play. Yeah, for sure. Um, kind of talking about Wisconsin, you didn't list them when we when you were talking about um, contenders. Do you think they have a viable chance of um, repeating and winning the conference for because they won beyond last year, I believe. Um, I believe they won in twenty twenty. Have to double check that, but. Do you think they have a viable path to repeating, or um, do you think it's going to be a changing of the guard? I definitely feel it will be a changing of the guard, and if anything, it's a team like Minnesota or Nebraska taking it, or even Purdue for that matter. Like I mentioned earlier, Wisconsin's just not the same team that they were. They still do have strong players, but it's not the same, and so it's going to be difficult for them as a team, especially now that they've kind of shown their weaknesses versus a team like Minnesota, and you've seen how easily Minnesota kind of came in and won that. Granted, it was a road game for Wisconsin, but there's going to be tough road games. You're going to have to go to Ohio State. You might have to go to Nebraska, Purdue. There's going to be really tough opponents that you have to go on the road and face, and I just don't see Wisconsin as the same team that they were last year. So I think it's going to be a tough road. It's possible, but it's a much tougher road than last year where they were just super dominant. It was really hard. How do you stop Wisconsin last year? The question asked. Um, what was it like, you know, you, you got to cover that Ohio State game. What was it like in there um, when Nebraska finished it off in that final set in a very close victory? Obviously, we know it was it was crazy with all those fans in there. Um, but what, what was the atmosphere? What did, the, what did it seem like the players were enjoying about that victory? I think just the ability to come back. You know, Matty Kubik talks about the resilience muscle that Nebraska has and how it's often tested, and it has been. It was tested versus Stanford, even versus Pepperdine when they were unranked but they really gave Nebraska a battle. And so I think the atmosphere was extremely electric. I mean, you could just feel it. And it started off in the fifth set. I believe it was Kenzie Knuckles back at the service line, and she served the ball, and the refs called it out. 
and the stadium said it's in. The student section began pointing. They yelled it's in. John Cook challenge. They showed it on the big screen. It was clearly in. The review took less than a minute. And the stadium just erupted. And at that moment, you could just feel that you even looked at the players that they knew that this was ours to win. And after the post-game press conference, players said as well, coming in the fifth set, they just felt the energy. And it carried at different times, too. I think after the second set, Nebraska tried to rally back, and they fell just short, but the energy carried over into the third where they went on a 5-6-0 scoring run. So you could just feel the impacts of having the fans there. And it was just an atmosphere, great atmosphere for volleyball fans in general, whether you're a fan of Nebraska-Ohio State or just a sport in general. Yeah. Um, so Nebraska's ranked um, atop your Big Ten Power Rankings, so the highest-ranked team in the – Big Ten and the ABCA poll, do you think the uh, Big Ten title runs through Lincoln this year? Do you think it's a lot more spread out than that? It's definitely much more spread out. It'd be nice to think that everything comes through Lincoln, but with such dominant teams, I mean, I just have six teams in the top 12 is almost unheard of for another yeah. conference. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's so, I mean, even take sport like football, the SEC might get, you know, some in the top five. But just to have six in the top 12 and then in the top 10, you have five and four of them are consecutive. It's just going to be hard. And so it'd be nice to think that it runs through Lincoln, but it's literally just up for grabs for anyone. Anyone can take it. Even a team outside of that top, you know, the top-heavy conference like the Big Ten is, like Michigan, could make a significant case. Penn State could rebound and make a case. So you pick a place in the Big Ten and the conference title can run through there at this point. Yeah, absolutely. I think – It'll be nice for whoever does come out of the Big Ten um, and any Big Ten going forward in the in the NCAA tournament where you're tested every single week. Um, you know, Texas is number one. They might not have that challenge every single week like a team like Nebraska or Minnesota or Purdue might have once they get into um, the tournament. And we saw that last year with Nebraska kind of making some upsets there on their way to the championship game and obviously Wisconsin running through everybody. Um, Going forward, what do you think Nebraska needs to improve on in order to be that national contender that they, I'm assuming they want to be um, and believe that they are? You know, I feel like a broken record talking about it, but it's really the service line. That's been the weakness that I've personally seen for Nebraska. There's so many times where you really don't know what's going to happen. And in close matches where it's 20 to 21 or you're getting later and it's here's set point nebraska's serving and they're down 23 24 you don't know with certainty that the ball is going to go over you don't know that the ball is going to be in so it makes it hard to compete against really good teams if you can't kind of win those free points like john cook calls them of the service line where you control what happens you can get an ace or you can serve out and you can give your opponents a point so it's going to be cleaning up the service line and now you've lost Nicklin Hames, and that was a big loss because um, you have Hames who has over 9,000 uh, career digs in her experience. And then you've got a freshman and a sophomore that don't have that same experience. Excuse me, two sophomores that don't have that same experience in setting, I think, 400 each uh, career sets for them. So it's just a really large gap between the two um, categories of experienced player versus younger players so fixing the service line fixing the sets building that confidence because it's still very early there were some good sets versus Ohio State there were a few times that they weren't but fixing really those two things aside from that I think Nebraska is really set and as they are right now they're a team that could win a national title come December 
So you talked about um, Nick on Hames, how impactful that injury is. Um, it's also a player Nebraska didn't know if they would have until, um, I guess, relatively well in the offseason. Uh, there was all indications that, you know, they they gave her a um, position change. She listed as a defensive specialist slash setter. Um, and they kind of seemed like they were setting up Kennedy or to be um, – I guess the next standard bear there at the setter position and she's played a decent amount, but what's, I guess what's, um, I don't want to say gone wrong, but where is that her development? Um, I guess varied from what was hoped for, um, and her taking over that position. I guess it's just that experience barrier. Cause you, like you mentioned, expect it to come in and start and then you, have Hames returning, so there you've kind of mentally prepared for this. And now you're back on the bench, so you're asking, being asked to come in really tough games. I mean, ask, being asked to come in against Ohio State's not an easy game to come in and set, or just really any opponent so far that they've had to come in. Being asked to come in versus Stanford, a really good volleyball team, and kind of finish these at the end of this game, it's a big thing to ask someone, especially someone so young that doesn't have that experience. And so, like I mentioned, just building that confidence is really what will make all the difference for them because there's no saying how long Nicklin will be gone. They hope to have her back soon, but if the injury is perhaps worse than thought or she's out for longer periods of time, the road between now and the Big Ten championship and tournament, it's not going to get any easier. So really fixing these issues now, building that confidence that if they do have to carry it out for the rest of the season, they're set, they're prepared, and they're confident heading into the Big Ten championship game and also heading into the national tournament. In December. Yeah, it's interesting because, um, I mean, it's she's been by no ne- no means bad, but it's almost like she hasn't gotten an opportunity to get in a rhythm, kind of like you talked about. Um, part of that's Haim still being there. I think also she was dealing or was dealing with a um, kind of nagging injury. Um, but yeah, definitely, I'm sure all of Nebraska hopes um, she's able to step up and take over that role and probably still has great potential to do so. Um, I think she was a number one national recruit at some point, but it's been an interesting development um, how Nebraska is still kind of leaning so much on Hames in that spot um, when Orr was kind of almost talked about like she was going to be the breakout player this year, kind of in the vein that um, kind of what Whitney, Whitney Lowenstein has become. Um, Who's been the kind of pivoting off that? Who's been the who or what's been the biggest surprise for you for Nebraska this fall? I think you have to go with Whitney Lowenstein. I feel she didn't play a lot last year, and no one really expected that. And she came in immediately, and she kind of just took over. And you know, they jokingly call well, not jokingly, but they call her Big Hit Wit, and that's kind of the thing that they associate. And that's pretty much accurate for how she plays when you, she's on the court, and you see when she gets a set, she takes swing. It's going to come off powerful, powerfully. And you're going to be like, wow, I would not want to be on the side of that ball as she's coming over the net and swinging. But it's just she's been the biggest surprise. And, you know, you expect the play like Maddie Kubik's had, Caitlin Horde, they really established themselves among the best in college volleyball. But for Whitney to come in in her second year here and just really take over and kind of dominate, it's been a big surprise. Yeah, um, that, that definitely seems like it's been the storyline of the season. Um from a more broad standpoint, what surprised you most about uh, Big Ten volleyball play? 
I'd like to say I'm not surprised by how close it is, but I am because I would not expect gotcha. for this many teams to be playing so well. There's a big question mark with Penn State losing Caitlin Horde, Russ Rose retiring, new first-year coach. And they started off very, fairly well, minus you know the loss to Michigan. But seeing that, too, that was a big shock and how well they've played. And even Michigan now, a team that's kind of middle, lower tier last year, but they're playing really well and making a case for why they can compete for a conference title. So just how spaced out and up for grabs the Big Ten is, and there's no clear winner this early. Do you have a, if you had to, can you give a prediction for who will be uh, the champion of the Big Ten as of now, as of September 28th? Well, I'd have to say the team that's playing the cleanest right now would be Purdue. I feel like there's not a lot that they haven't done right so far. And I'd want to say Nebraska, but cleaning up the service line and the questions around the setter position as long as Nicklin Haim. So I'd say Purdue has the best chance right now, in my opinion, to take a Big Ten conference title. Mm-hmm. Definitely interesting. I think uh, we'll, every time we have you on here, we'll probably uh, check in on how, how you're feeling about these teams. Um, um, and, and I definitely think the, the volleyball rankings are a great addition to the site, I think, um, for a sport that for Nebraska has seemed to be uh, the university's best. Far and away. Um, you know, I think people should be talking more about volleyball and maybe a little less about football, but I guess that's how we do things here at Nebraska. You got anything else for Jay? No, thanks for uh, coming on. Um, probably won't be the first time, but yeah, kind of echo what Joseph was saying. We're definitely trying to kick up volleyball coverage on the site, and um, Jay and some of our other young writers, uh, Noah and Sarah, have done a great job with helping us um, with that beat and jumping in and um, definitely have a exciting team to cover. So, yeah, yeah thank you, Jay. It's nice to uh, cover some winning games, I'd say. Uh, I'm glad you get to experience that because me and Gavin, well, we've had our share. Right. Um Thank you so much for coming on, Jay. Uh, And thank you so much for listening. We will be back next week with the Scarlet Fever, um, hopefully after a Indiana versus Nebraska uh, Husker victory. Uh, We will see you then. Thank you so much for listening.